In this episode, I'm joined by internationally acclaimed singer-songwriter and composer Nikki Wells. We learn about Nikki's Himalayan upbringing in Dharamsala, India, as part of the Sahaja Yoga Group, a system of awakening that exposed Nikki to profound states of meditation, as well as Indian classical music. We go into depth about the Sahaja Yoga system, including its approach to Kundalini energy, Darshan, and spiritual evolution, as well as Nikki's own spiritual awakening. We explore Nikki's career as a singer and composer, from collaborating and touring with Nitin Sawney to composing for film and television, including Kensei Norbu, also known as Zongzhar Kensei Rinpoche's 2013 film Vara A Blessing. We also discuss Nikki's solo work, including her 2018 debut album Ocean, her 2019 album of spiritual songs entitled Shloka, and learn about the deep spirituality that permeates her performances and creative process. So without further ado, Nikki Wells. So Nikki Wells, thank you for joining me on the podcast. Thank you for having me, Steve. Great to be here. So you've had an interesting upbringing uh, that saw you exposed to both the classical Indian music that's become such a key part of your sound, as well Mm. as Vedic traditions that would become your lifelong spiritual practice. Can you talk a bit about how it was you came to grow up in the Himalayas and what your childhood was like? <laughs> um, well, essentially, my, my parents met in a meditation practice uh, called Sahaja Yoga, which is based on ancient Vedic philosophies and um, uh, has a very universal approach to spirituality, essentially. And... Uh, so I was born into it, and so were my sisters, and that took us to live in uh, the foothills of the Himalayas, where there was a international boarding school where the emphasis was on meditation. Um, and so we kind of grew up in this uh, community of people who all meditate, and it was very multicultural, people from around the world, and the whole emphasis was um, self-development and and meditating, really. So. Um, as part of a, of, a, of a school day, we would wake up at dawn and, you know, beautiful Himalayas, you know, the sunrise over the Himalayas would be the first thing we really see and, and was our playground, really, essentially, um, which was an amazing environment to grow up in as a six-year-old. Um, but then, yes, yeah, so we would start the day um, with a meditation and, uh, and then go on to our academic uh, lessons um, and then we would close the day also with the meditation so my whole upbringing my, my childhood was very much um, uh, involved in community and this you know huge global community which felt like a global family really and um, and, a, and a sense of um, looking and building one's own um spiritual um, development from a young age and uh it was something that also was very open to um multicultural ways of of thinking and seeing and rather than being kind of necessarily um boxed in one contrived way of of living in a kind of um uh let's say uh conditioned um village you know um way of of thinking it was about embracing all cultures embracing um all kinds of people and um and and essentially starting a uh an inner um 
journey from a young age, which was, you know, a kind of an element of self-inquiry and introspection and meditation. Um, so, yeah, it was it was definitely something my parents uh, um, did for us to to kind of grow up away from the Western material um, world and, and those kind of Western conditionings and um, grow up more in the East where there was that more um, where they were very much into Eastern philosophical approaches more so than Western. It's fascinating. What sort of meditations were you doing in those mornings and evenings as part of that daily routine? Well, it's called Sahaja Yoga meditation. Um, and uh, I think it'd be easier for, for, for one to kind of have their own experience of that. It's not something one can really even um, talk about necessarily because it is an experience. But um, uh, and it's it's the um, the lady who who founded this meditation practice is a woman called Srimati Jinnada Maladevi, and one of the things she said is is that you know you cannot do meditation you can only be in meditation and it's not something that you do in terms of have a kind of um, uh, even a course or get a bachelor degree from it or something it's something that you it's as organic as as a plant in the sense that it's something you become and you evolve um, and your consciousness evolves. Um, and so it, when I talk about Sahaja Yoga meditation, it's really a lifestyle. It's a practice. Um, and it's something that is a uh, an ongoing practice on, on all walks of life. And, um, and essentially it uh, derives from um, ancient Vedic philosophies and um, the um, awakening of the um, kundalini energy, which activates the parasympathetic nervous system. And then obviously there is a kind of uh, a subtler transformative effect that takes place rather than a kind of um, uh, a matter, you know, I mean, we're getting straight into the deep end, are we, in the beginning of, of this podcast? Um, but there's a subtle transformation take, that takes place with one's awareness. And over time, um, the, the, let's say, you know, the, the waves of, of, um, um, of frequency of the brain um, become more towards theta than, um, you know, beta and gamma. So, you know, if we're walking down Oxford Street, for example, and, you know, you're looking at cars and there's music and there's a lot of stimuli, chances are that the waves of the frequencies in your brain are going um, quite fast. But the, the idea is to kind of um, be in the chaos and be in what's known as the Maya and the illusion and to be in a, in a state of witnessing, in a state of enjoyment, in, state of, in a state of joy. And uh, this kind of happens over time. And the more you kind of plug into the mains, as it were, the more you meditate, the more you start to feel yourself um, transforming in this in this sense and for me it's all encompassing in terms of what I do in life and I do music and um, you know I do pottery you can probably see some pots around um, and it's and everything that I do is all encompassing there's no duality between anything between meditation between eating between music between walking in the park and um, and that's it's really that whole encompassing uh, life philosophy of um yeah of life really what can I say it's um but um the, the thing that I would say is that through meditation one's um awareness 
um, and and consciousness as the um, the ability to to um, I'd say evolve or dissolve the ego dissolves into a greater whole and uh, and when when one when one's ego becomes essentially invalid there's a, a an infinite kind of um, ocean and um, and so it's it's just about being humble to receive and be a receptive being with one's antennas awakened essentially or one's antennas active so you become more sensitive um to your environment and and to the world and more compassionate in that way when we mentioned the word ocean there um that's a theme that comes up in your music quite often and we'll, uh, i'd like to return to that a bit later you mentioned sri mataji narayana devi there the founder of the sahaja yoga system and yeah. Something interesting about that system, there's an emphasis, as you said, on achieving Kundalini awakening, uh, but not through means such as asana or kriya, or if it was perhaps in a Buddhist context, in the Chandali uh, approach through mm. something like tumo, something like that, yeah. uh, but through darshan or even gazing at Sri Mataji's murti, something like that. I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about how the Kundalini, uh, the darshan and so on are approached in this system. Um, mm. I'm curious if it's sort of a Shaktipat kind of initiation, Muktananda style, or if it's uh, something else. Mm. Well, it's it's a very interesting question. Um, and I think the Sahaja means spontaneous. Saha um, is born and Ja is you. So like born with you is the right. Everyone has the right to experience their self-realization and to realize the self. Um which and and we're just going straight to Z, aren't we? But basically, what is that? Um, that is the the um, the concept that you are you are not your mind, your body, and your ego and your emotions, but you are the 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 pure spirit, or you are the um, pure consciousness, let's say. Um, and basically, what Shumachan Nirmala Devi did in um, 1970 was she. Um, found a technique to make um, self-realization possible en masse. And, you know, for hundreds of years, a guru, the guru shisha principle would, a guru would give um, self-realization to his disciple and maybe look after his disciple for his whole life or 50 years. And maybe they would be um, people doing a lot of penance or, you know, sitting on a rock in the Himalayas and sitting in a cave for years and, or, you know, doing an asana or standing, you know, on one foot for hours on end, doing all these kind of things to master um, the the body and to master the mind and to master um, the, the, um, the desires or the, um, to overcome them, essentially, in order to be liberated from the body. But essentially what Sahaja Yoga um, is, which is very unique in that sense, is that it's this very spontaneous and um, fast way to experience what is this uh, self-realization. And it's something that, like I said in the beginning, it's not something that one can really explain in an academic sense, but it is an experience to be tried. So, for example, I could to you if we were sitting on the grass in a park or even in the same room or perhaps even now on Skype, I don't know, <laughs> um, do a meditation session whereby um, 
I could kind of uh, give you um, this experience or you could um, experience it for yourself. Um, and it's like from one candle to another, you can just all experience it. And it's something that's very personal to to anyone. It's something that is absolutely not rational and in the mind or something that you can intellectualize. It is a spontaneous and involuntarily happening. Um, and la- like like the heart that beats involuntarily or like we breathe involuntarily in the same way, the kundalini, that awakening of the kundalini is something that is so um, pure, actually, and has to be awakened through a right authority in the sense that it's not, I mean, I know there's a lot of kind of talk on the kundalini and awakening it through all kinds of um, ways, which some I feel are a bit dangerous um, in terms of like the whole, you know, tantric world whereby it just goes, it just went into more of a polluted place. And actually the, in Sahaja Yoga, the, um, the Kundalini is, is the most, is the purest embodiment of, of purity. And, um, and it's the, we call it the mother nurturing energy within us, um, whereby when she rises, she just nurtures and burns away any kind of impurities in the body. And then you experience, um, uh, a very active um, subtle system which is basically your your chakra system and uh, you then really experience an effortless meditation you don't have to do anything and you don't have to try hard it just happens and and or I've only experienced it myself so I can only say from from personal experience that my my um, awareness would change or if I was thinking maybe if I was kind of feeling a bit um angry or or frustrated about something or um in my ego um or reactive if i did meditate i would see the difference of my being would be um just more of a kind of watcher or a higher version of myself in a sense like a parent self or let's say the capitalist self rather than the smaller self which is like the puppet and i'd be the puppeteer and then you just watch yourself be like oh nikki why did you say that? Okay, well, maybe that derived from some insecurity. Or maybe the parent self would be more prominent, um, you know, after after experiencing a meditation, which is, um, yeah, a very a very deep place to go um, within within one's being. So, um, and of course, you know, this conversation it it, it can it's very again it's an experience. So talking about it can lead someone to think oh well this is all a bit kind of uh wishy-washy or a bit um unless you experience it you just can't know you know um so that's something i'd say about that but like i said sadiago is is a it's a very spontaneous and and uh natural way of experiencing this this um self-realization kind of process so you mentioned the subtle changes that can happen as you plug in to the mains through this meditation and uh, the subtle subtle changes that can happen in terms of your awareness and your experience. And you gave a couple of examples there of on the spot changes in the way you relate to yourself and the way you relate to circumstances and so on. I'm curious in your journey in that system, if you had any sorts of epiphanies or turning points, or if it's more of a gradual kind of thing. And also, 
Uh, I'm curious later, actually, as to how it plays into your creative pursuits. Mm. Yeah, well, I think because I was born into it, it, it was something that um, it, one has to make the decision themselves um, as an adult. And as a young adult, I made the decision that um, I found the, benef- the benefits of meditation. And, um, and when I was around 16, I moved to Australia by myself. I lived with family friends who were musicians and they were artists and incredible people, incredible creatives. And it was at that time where I was kind of fluctuating between the path of Maya and the path of spirituality. And they look exactly the same and they feel exactly the same, except one was nourishing for you and one was not. And one has to use their own sense of discriminatory power to decipher what is truth from falsehood, what is nourishing and what is maybe just, you know, just not, well, not nourishing. Um, and it was at that time where I really kind of then experimented with going deeper into this meditation and what I'm calling plugging into the main. Um, and what happened in that time was, um, and I was yeah from 16 to 18 years old, I had these very deep, meditative experiences where I could just meditate for hours and sometimes I would not want to sleep but I would sit up in bed and meditate and um and and be and basically I'd say lose myself and what I mean by get lost into something it's probably the ego dissolving and then just being in a a very a blissful loving pure pure love pure energy that is so much greater than myself and being connected to that um and having these experiences at that point um made me realize that I I wanted this in my life you know even though I was born um into meditation practice it was like the the decision to enforce this in your lifestyle or into your daily practice was the decision was made at that point. Um, And sometimes life, you know, throughout life, you get different experiences and some are very difficult. Some are very challenging. And I choose to see all of my challenges that I have in life as blessings in disguise, you know, as, as, um, as lessons to be learned as though I'm in a kind of, video game or kind of <laughs> simulated reality and, and everything that's presented to me good or bad is something more for me to learn about myself um and so these kind of um spiritual epiphanies just come from my hunger and desire to want to grow and want to know more and want to become more and i think it would feed into all walks of life um it's not only just doing meditation it's having a conversation with someone it's it's um I also experienced it during performance so um sometimes when I would be singing um on stage and and I'd be in a song and then I'd just get lost in the music and music to me, the music and divinity are totally one and the same. Or well, music, to me, is the closest language 
um, to what one might call is God, because it's this formlessness that is so um, that gives us the opportunity to join that formlessness. And in form, we are limited. Um, and when we, either through meditation or through music, when you lose yourself in that formlessness, something magical happens, you know. And um, and so, yeah, I've, I've experienced it in music um, and as well as in meditation, this idea that I'm losing my, my identity or my constructs of identity that I've built. I'm Nikki Wells and I'm from UK and I'm this and I'm that. But to just um, be. Um, and so those, that's, those are kind of the, the little... Um, uh, the, the tapestry, you know, the, the, the small little knots of the whole tapestry um, that make the journey of this um, spiritual um, journey a, a, a lifelong thing. You know, it's not just one or two experiences that have suddenly jolted me awake, but there are definite moments of um, self-inquiry and, and, a, and a massive jolt of self-awareness sometimes through real hardship and real challenges, like being in a relationship or something where you're massively faced with yourself. Um, and those hardest times have been some of the greatest catalysts for change and transformation. Can you think of a particularly poignant example? In terms of um, difficulties, you mean? Yes, perhaps difficulties, providing the pressure for that kind of... Yeah. Well, I would say in my in my um last relationship um i was i was very much the um the the person who i was with was very much like a mirror to me and sometimes it was brutal um in the sense that um it was something that i inevitably needed to face and go through and it was a journey that we both had to go through and 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 face ourselves um, through but it was um it was it was beautiful blessings in disguise and had i not gone through those um those sometimes very um uncomfortable or points of friction i wouldn't have it wouldn't have given birth to feelings of absolute gratitude absolute forgiveness and unconditional love you know, so I have nothing but pure respect for this person and, and and gratitude for all of our experiences. So I feel like it was meant to be a journey of self-discovery and of um, learning those qualities um, of forgiveness. And, you know, there's this beautiful quote, um, which I'll share with you, um, which has always stayed with me when I read it, was forgiveness is the fragrance a flower emits after it has been crushed and it's that whole thing of we can't experience certain things in life without the hardship or without that crushed without that breaking without that death of ourselves without that complete surrendering into something new and so that's why I have nothing but gratitude to something that is difficult or something that is a hardship or even maybe a tragedy because they are lessons to then overcome and transform out of 
and evolve out of. And I'm only interested in this life um, to evolve. You know, I'm not interested to be the same person now as I am in five or ten years' time. I'd hope that I learn and grow more and become more and be like a a, a child, wide-eyed and full of curiosity in this world because it's so much fun <laughs> to be to be here and to be alive and to learn and grow. What is the trajectory of that evolution? What is the trajectory of it? I would say it's as the universe is. It just expands. It's just it's. I wouldn't even call it a direction. It's probably all direction. It's multi-directional. It's probably even all directional inside and outside. Very interesting indeed. Musicians, people in the creative arts, one could say a standard driving force in the creative person can be the sense of needing to express themselves, the sense of needing to be heard or to communicate their message or their expression. Um, mm. And you're talking about a somewhat, it seems, different relationship to music, to that creative process, the dissolution of the ego, uh, the sense of the ocean, and so on. I'm wondering how you relate to aspects of the musician or the creative life, such as self-promotion or marketing, as to what mobilizes you into the performance or the getting out there aspect of the creative life? Yeah, well, I think we, we all have different characters. If one is a father or a director and a gardener and a, and a, a husband or, you know, a, a professional or someone who gets into his car and works in the office, you know, we, we all have different different caps that we wear that make us multifaceted human beings. And I think um, if I am a creative, I'm, I'm also, I'm not always, I'm not always walking around in, <laughs> in a state of absolute euphoric bliss necessarily i'm not i'm not always creating sometimes i'm um sometimes if i'm walking the dog i just actually want to to do nothing so that something can come um and in terms of being um more business minded or more kind of active in the world of mm, manufacturing a product you know or something they're, they're all different um yeah, they're all different sides and different, different, um, different facets of an overall diamond, of an overall stone. That you know, you have to kind of be all encompassing in all ways. I think and learn and have have the tools in your toolbox in order to live in this life uh, realistically. Actually, because um, it's all very well to kind of say that one meditates and you know perhaps goes off into a cave and leads samsara, you know, the worldly existence. But actually, I think it's a lot more interesting to be in the thick of it and to be totally part of this world and to be, um, to, to be, to relate to other human beings, to connect um, on different levels and to then, you know, plug into the mains in, in terms of your consciousness. And so, um, with me being, um, you know, focusing on my career, or it's it's work, you know, it's um, it's also getting on that treadmill and 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 doing what one needs to do in a meticulous way. Um, you know, it's like a meticulous tapestry. You know, every single so counts, and if one is doing it 
with thought with a thoughtfulness and with a with a an intention and a patience it will create the overall image um and i don't i don't think in terms of just jumping up you know to, to to things or goals it's um i guess what i'm trying to say is the life is all encompassing and one and and the more rich that the, the more we can do within all of it and and experience the, the the reality of it all the more it enhances and enriches our own existence let's deal with some other of those facets now perhaps starting once again in your childhood and your exposure to indian classical music singing anyone listening to your sound will i think recognize that influence to greater or lesser degrees um, mm. So could you say a little bit about that early uh, exposure to mm. those styles? Sure. Well, um, when when I grew up um, uh, in Sahaja, well, as I've grown up in Sahaja, we we've listened to, we, we generally in meditation listen to Indian classical music. So from a very young age, it's something that's been part of my musical culture, essentially. Um, However, I did I did take it up more seriously when I was around 18, and I went to a music academy uh, outside of Mumbai um, for just three months. But in those three months, it it taught me the the basic foundations of everything that I would that I'd know, and then it just kind of evolved from there. Um, Indian classical music in itself is very spiritual um it's very cyclical it's based on cycles based on ryth rhythmic cycles and then the even the melody the, the the melodic it's not it's it's not homophonic so there is no harmony um but the melody is like a, an, an elastic that can be stretched whereby the microtones you are visible whereby when you stretch this elastic the, the the minuscule notes have have as much importance as the the kind of um main body of notes um within a scale and so it's it's about almost um it's very it's very symbolic to living life in a way um and it's it's because it's purely improvised it's very much dependent on the musician's mood and age and where they're at in life and who they are as a person. And one person playing a particular rag will be very different um, from one day to the next, depending on their mood. And also another rendition of another musician on that particular rag will be very different for how they approach it. So I think that the world of Indian classical music was as fascinating to me as the world of spirituality because they they are kind of one and the same um it's um it's a mountain it's a mountain and the more you climb the more beautiful the view gets that's wonderful after australia and after your time in mumbai i believe you then moved to back to the uk is that correct yeah that's right yeah i was um i think i was 20 and um well i no, after Australia, I was 18 and then I went traveling and I went obviously to India and I, and I spent a year traveling, uh, went back to Australia and I, I really kind of made a, uh, I was part of a whole network of musicians and creatives in Sydney and 
and had a real time in my life out there from when I was 16 to 18 and was getting involved in photography and music and was part of four different bands. And it was just such an amazing, stimulating time. Um, and Australians are, are so chilled out. No worries, mate, is the motto. <laughs> so it was just a, a very um, a great time in my life to, to be there. And then, of course, going back to India, I went back to the school that I grew up in, Dharamshala, um, in Himachal Pradesh. And as a, as a grown-up, I was like a giant, you know, in this, um, in this school. And, uh, and it was incredible to go back because I saw these little children who were around six or seven years old when I was their age and just to see their um this sparkle in their eye and this 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 element of freedom that they had and I was like I as an adult I could see it as wow what, what an incredible what an incredible experience to to have had and um and uh, and then I came back to England and then I I got into ACM which is where I actually first met you <laughs> and I was around um 20 20 or 21 and at that time I yeah just very much got involved in um in learning and I I just was so thirsty to learn music and I only wanted to just learn 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 and um and go deeper into the world of music also theoretically and you know studying things like jazz harmony and theory you know was because I've always been a lot more of a kind of um right-brained person <laughs> and just very much that creating music by ear creating music totally intuitively but I needed some more black and white I needed some more theory I needed some more um tools in my toolbox uh which people like Nick Preston um really helped me with and you know um and um and yeah so I, I really I really enjoyed learning and and at that time um and then, of course, when I was 21, um, during the time I was studying at ACM, I also then um, spontaneously met Nitin Sony, who who heard me singing a shuloka, um, what I learned in um, this music academy outside Mumbai, and uh, and and then and then he kind of um, invited me to be part of his band. And um, the first gig I did with him, um, well, there was there was one in in Cornwall, but then the first major gig was um, the Confluence Contemporary Dance Show with Akram Khan in Sadler's Wells, and um, and and meeting him was the was was a time of of real exposure to many different um, ways of making music, um, but particularly my um, love for Indian music was then given a, a platform for me to then take more seriously because before that I was writing um, quite folky pop songs and um, uh, I was you know my 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 idols were people like Joni Ars or people like Joni Mitchell and Jeff Buckley um, Nick Drake and and so I was and yeah so I was writing music um, in that kind of line um, but then all of a sudden I'm on stage and I have to sing in Sanskrit or Bengali or Hindi and you know there are Indian people in the audience so I'm like oh goodness I have to really <laughs> I really have to, to know to know what I'm doing here and um, and then I just really got into it more seriously picking it up orally um, so I'm very much an oral musician and I I, I, um, 
I learned through um, assimilation, really, and, and absorption. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you toured with Neaton for eight years. Do you still work with Neaton, Sony? Uh, yeah, we do actually. We just did a. Um, uh, we're just about to do a, a live a COVID, a, in COVID nineteen live concert um, with PRS um, Foundation um, for Music, uh, and uh, so that's gonna. So yeah, we do we do um, still work together. But there was a, a few years ago where I consciously made the decision to focus more on my own solo career. Uh, which is where Turia um, became born as a as a pseudonym of my um, singer songwriter project, and and then from and in that world, I released my first album called Ocean, and um, and now working on the second. I'd love to come to talk about Turia in a moment. Uh, one one thing about that period when you were working predominantly with Neaton Sone, you've composed for, and your voice has been featured in many scores for television and film. And in fact, you co-composed the score for Kensei Norbu's 2013 feature film, Vara, A Blessing. And my listeners yeah. may know Kensei Norbu better as the famous Bhutanese Lama Dzongja Kensei Rinpoche. I'm wondering if you work with him directly and if you could talk a little bit about the process of working with him. Um, yeah, that was an amazing um, project. Um, it was actually, um, Nitin had asked me to... Um, collaborate with him on this film Vara Vana a blessing and um, and we we only had Skype communication with um, with him because he was um, I think in Dharamshala at the time Um, and otherwise it was very much email correspondence and and just passing over notes and we were working remotely here in London and so there wasn't that much um, close communication in terms of um, talking with him a lot. There were probably around uh, three Skype calls where we were in conversation about what he was looking for, and and um, and then he would just send back uh, notes of of tracks that he liked that we were creating, and um, it was a, it was a, a wonderful period of um, of getting into this this. Most beautiful um, cinematography, um, and um, yeah, so it, it was it was a, a time of, uh, of of also experimenting as a composer myself. Um, and Nathan was giving me these opportunities for me to kind of just he just would throw me in the deep end and be in. And my first compositional job was actually a um, a play of Charles Dickens' Great Expectations, which played at uh, the Watford Theatre Palace. And, um, and, uh, and you know, Nitin uh, saw that I could have the, the capability of, of composing and so kept giving me um, these opportunities to, to exercise um, those, those muscles and skills. And, um, and when, we did, um, uh, when we did Vara, it was... Uh, Using the, that sensibility of an Indian classical feeling, um, but in a kind of Western orchestral setting as well. So strings, but then having like a bansuri flute, and um, and doing things, even manipulating that, like probably putting down the pitch down an octave, so that actually the 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 MIDI sample would even be slowed down and. Mm-hmm. 
rather than na na na, which if it was uh, twisted back up um, would be more like that. So it was a very um, wonderful time of experimenting of how to make also music bridge these two worlds of the East and the West and to make something that is sensitive and spiritual um, because it also involved um, the, the story of this woman's devotion for Lord Krishna um, and, and and that's very much explored in the film and I recommend recommend all, all the viewers to watch it it's a, it's a lovely a lovely film let's talk a little bit about Turiya the pseudonym you use for some of your solo music and you released your debut album Ocean in 2018 and the title track Ocean I think has been my personal favorite of your pieces until some of the recent things which is starting to rival it I'm afraid um, and um, I believe you're also you mentioned you're recently working on new music and I saw that you're collaborating with award-winning producer Peter Box Martin and I'm sure many others why the name Turia and what can you say about that project in general well my my publisher and manager um my my manager actually um suggested why don't you have a a stage name of some kind because I, I was using Nikki Wells my name as as a you know as an artist as a session singer singing um different kinds of um using different kinds of vocal techniques like you know singing in Arabic or singing in French or singing Indian classical styles and I wanted Turiya to be a more focused um diary entry of my own like diaries essentially my own very personal process of music um creation and uh, I was with a friend of mine um and we were just I was I had this list of names and um and I had the word Turiya written on there. It was spelled T-U-R-Y-A, which is actually generally T-O-O-R-I-Y-A. And it's a Sanskrit word. And um, and then he reminded me, as we were just chatting in the kitchen, that, um, that Turiya is a state of consciousness that you experience after pronouncing the Om correctly. And the Om can be dissected into four different dimensions, the A, the U, the M, and then the silence that you experience after that is the fourth, the Chatura, the fourth consciousness, the fourth state, after another way you could see it is waking, dreaming, and dreamless. And after those three states is Turiya. And then it just hit me like a huge bolt of lightning, like, oh my goodness, the silence one experiences after sound is Turiya and I wanted that silence to represent my sound essentially so I wanted the listener if they're listening to the sound that I create to be left in silence rather to be rather than you know in this world of music industry to be left in this ripple of excitement or this ripple of sensationalism to be left with a with a sense of silence that I wanted that to represent my sound um, so I kind of compartmentalized my career as Nikki Wells, a composer and a session singer, or, you know, singing with other artists. Um, and then Turiya to kind of delve into my own um, unconscious or musical um, unconscious and, to, and my own songwriting. So that's the whole, the whole way in which Turiya was, was born, really. 
Mm-hmm. Fascinating. And how's the next album going? You're in the process of that, I understand. Well, this is the thing. This this whole period of quarantine is really quite, again, a blessing in disguise, really, because I, as as you've seen, I've been making these COVID calm videos, but they are now becoming the kind of foundation of the of the kind of production that I'm creating for my album. And there's a consistency. I feel so much more powerful within myself um, as a person and as an artist that I am fully holding the reins of my life. And there isn't any other um, uh, creator of this record, really. It's all kind of stemming from many years of accumulated music trapped in me or trapped on you know a shelf of ideas because there's around I don't know how many <laughs> I've got on my voice memos just you know hundreds of different ideas and and now I'm really kind of in a flow of of um of making sense of them all you know and making something that I really want to say now and so yeah I'm, I'm definitely there's there's a very interesting direction taking place and taking shape which i'm really excited about that's great i'd like to talk a little bit about those covid cam pieces very shortly but before we do there's something else that's happened in between in december of 2019 you released schlocker an album which you describe as meditative music which facilitates one's own practice of self-inquiry introspection and meditative depth can you talk a little bit about what a shloka is its significance in terms of a verse form and what your intentions were with that album. And that was released as Nikki Wells, not Turia. Yeah, that's right. Yes. Um, so, I mean, the reason why it was released as Nikki Wells is because as, as an artist as Nikki Wells, I want, I want to um, display a kind of, I'm doing more Indian classical things or, or um, things that I haven't written. So, for example, the shalukas are Vedic um, scripts that date back from the Upanishads, and a shuluka um, is essentially a um, um, a verse from the from the Vedic texts, um, which can be like a hymn, say if you were it's a hymn in Sanskrit. And these particular shulukas um, they describe uh, the attributes of various uh, deities or qualities that are that that are within us or that uh, that can be um realized within us so for example um the first shloka um describes the qualities of of the hindu god ganesha and he is the remover of obstacles and he's the elephant headed god and he embodies uh, innocence auspiciousness um purity and wisdom and so when i made this um album of shlokas uh, I was working um, alongside the charity Mind um, to help people um, with mental health issues to, um, to to have this music to facilitate a state of peace and, and meditation. And these shalukas are kind of like musical medicine because they work on a subtle level. And so this was kind of taking my um, uh, my life of, of um, my meditation practice of Sahaja Yoga with the, the, the knowledge of the chakra system and how music can facilitate to awaken and activate um, an energy center, essentially. So the idea is, is that when you listen to these shalokas, it's having a, a, um, a parasympathetic um, activation process happening. So you are meditating, but then 
your attention is on a particular energy center and it's and it's paying devotion or tribute to the deity that governs that energy center and say the quality of um, the muladhara which is um governed by sri ganesha um you would then kind of have a have an experience of of um yeah of activating that center through the music essentially and allowing the music to do the work one of my favorites from that album is the vishuddhi track can you talk a little bit about about that track um well yeah that that was funnily enough the the shaloka the first shaloka um that nitin heard um when i was 21 and it was my favorite as well <laughs> and um it's it's the shaloka uh, that describes the the attributes of uh, lord krishna and um it's very um first of all the rag is rako jejevanti which is um the the rag for the vishuddhi and um lord krishna is is the deity of the vishuddhi and it's very elaborate and and beautiful and very kind of sophisticated and and um quite decorated um with melodic ornamentation and that's because he is also the kind of he's wearing you know the pearl necklace and these beautiful ornaments and he is jeweled with um yeah with with golden jewels and and has a has a uh, a tilak um and is the cow herder and uh, the uh, playing the flute and so the the sanskrit words are describing this scene this scenario and what it's supposed to be doing and what it what it does is emit an auspiciousness so it emits the suspicious uh, painting as it were of lord krishna and the melody is like the paintbrush kasuri tilakam lala tapatle vakshasthale kautubham nasagre navamotikam a dance you know like a even like a kuchipudi dance like that's why you'd have these shalokas or meditate when a dancer would describe the qualities and you know so it's it's a painting and um and it immediately brings the listener or even myself when i'm doing it into this um into this place of auspiciousness and that's the difference of when you are so your mind actually goes through this transformative process of before and after and the after is the peace and this beauty and this okay and that it can be 
experienced within you and that can be awakened within you. So you see, ah, the qualities of Sri Krishna are within me, you see, and then you can experience. And that's how that's the, the shloka awakens that. Wonderful. That's very beautiful. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. Okay, let's talk a bit about your COVID Calm series. And you've been producing a, a series of music videos on YouTube, which you're calling the COVID Calm series. And they're short compositions with you know, photography and, and uh, music and melody and also poetry, your, your own and others. And they're really quite breathtaking. The first of those is Rivers to Sea, yeah. in which you set to music a passage by John Owen, a Welsh epigrammatist from the 1600s called Devita et Morte, or Duita et Morte, if we want to go classical. So why don't I play that track now? Rivers to Sea. What can you say about that track? Uh, well, the, the music, the, the whole music came to me in, in my mind. And I even had the melody and I phonetically, uh, I phonetically heard these certain vowels take place. And I wanted those, but they weren't English words to me. So I didn't want to write English words. And then I thought, this feels like it should be Latin. And so I literally, it was like one of the first things that I found. <laughs> I just found, um, I just looked up Latin poetry and um, in the space of five or 10 minutes came across um, John Owen's poem. And I thought, wow, well, which one gravitated to, to this one gravitated towards me the most. And, um, and then I wanted to see if the music that I created would work with it, and it did. And the, the rhythmic phrasing of the of the melody that I had in mind um, worked well with it. And so, um, so then I just um, put the melody to those to those um, Latin words, and um, and it, it it it's about kind of creating a, a feeling that is all consuming. You know, that is um, that is consistent. And um, and I felt like the the Latin um, was right to go with with 
it's the whole mood of the music that I that I composed for it. How do you achieve that orchestration that's in both of your COVID cam pieces, almost uh, through an envelope filter kind of um, sounds that sort of yeah. spring from all different angles like that? Well, it's uh, <laughs> it's a lot of playing around with production and and um, and you know over the years I've been. <laughs> I've been um, lucky to get to know the the DAW of Logic um, more more and more so, and um, spending you know if I get any money I just spend it on 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 music in terms of um, good plugins or um, software instrument libraries, and so um, that was a um, the 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 strings that you heard. Um, were were a combination of of two strings. It was Spitfire Audio, which is one of my absolute favorite um, software library uh, companies. I just think they're brilliant. And um, and and then even a friend of mine who who I live with, who's a violinist. And so it was a combination of that. And then I put some delays and um, and some filters on and created this kind of nostalgic um, um, soundscape, as it were, which is kind of I'm I'm kind of going further into that into that sound with with now my the production of my album. And um and yeah, I just really wanted it to come from a place that was undiluted. And the thing is is that I've I've worked with a lot of people, um, and sometimes when you work with different producers, um, that the sound that you have within your mind and within your being can sometimes then be diluted. Um, by someone else's vision and so this is now the time where I just feel like I said earlier but powerful enough to stand on my own to do it myself and to and to execute my vision in a way that I want it to be and if I hear something then I I, I will just do whatever it takes until I make that kind of sound um, rather than relying on anyone else to do that <laughs> or to you know and so and so it's taken me um um, that time as a composer and as a producer to to feel confident enough to completely be the the, the painter of my own kind of canvas and do it all um, um, from scratch, um, which I'm really enjoying um, that process. And just coming back from Australia, I was just there just before COVID hit. Um, we had the premiere of a contemporary dance show um, that I'm been doing with Akash Udebra and uh, and who Shen Wan and a show that we that was called Samsara and uh, actually is a very powerful show um about the journey of Samsara again a very spiritual journey um and so I just got back from that tour and was the composer uh, for that for that show the the contemporary dance show and also a live musician singing in it so I I had still had all of this residue of of all this um very intense work period that we did there and um and so that is it's all kind of um helping this process of creativity um now and the second of these pieces that you've released is called when it goes quiet yeah so here's when it goes quiet when it goes quiet i sometimes fall into myself fall and there are no walls 
and there is no ground beneath my feet. A bottomless ocean. It can sometimes be scary, having nothing to grasp. But strangely, it's also deeply familiar. When I allow myself to let go and just accept it, it feels like home. And those those words are actually your words, from what I understand. What can you say about about that particular track? Um, so it was a really a really wonderful story because um, I met um, Michael Orcosa in the park walking our dogs, and he's the protagonist in the film. And uh, <laughs> when I just I just got back from Australia and. Uh, you know, as dog walkers, us tribes of dog walkers uh, sometimes get chatting and uh, at a safe two meter distance. And um, and I could notice that his accent um, was from New Zealand. So we got chatting there and um, in the park. And um, and uh, I was saying, oh, I was just in Australia last week. And now we're talking about, oh, gosh, look at what's happened. And he's like, he was trapped. He's trapped here, basically, because he's... He, he couldn't get his flight back home and he's spending time with his daughter and then COVID hit, so he's in quarantine with his daughter. And we just got chatting and then one of the things that uh, he ended up saying was that, oh, I, I wish I was a, da- a, a dancer, a contemporary dancer. It was one of my my biggest regrets not to pursue. And I was like, well, why stop there? You know, let's let's make it happen, you know? And then, um, so we, we exchanged numbers and I, and then I thought, oh, wouldn't it be great to get Michael involved in a COVID calm video? <laughs> and, um, and then, uh, so I contacted him and he was up for it. And then uh, I just wrote this poem that night in uh, in about half an hour or 20 minutes um i could hear his voice i could hear his voice do it and then i just composed the piece and uh, then i texted him saying i've got this poem could you read it and um and and then we went down to the water um we live in greenwich and um and then I just shot him from a safe two meter distance, so I was still um, being safe. But um, and I just thought he was fantastic, um, and uh, it just again, you know, I think it, everything just when it works out spontaneously, and this is when how it all comes back full circle. How I how I even went to India, how I went to Australia, how I met Nitin, how I met Michael. These things just happen spontaneously and naturally in an in a organic way, in a very, what I would call a Sahaj way. It's, it's a spontaneous Sahaj way. And, and to me, these are the gifts of life, you know, that when things just happen organically and spontaneously like this and creativity 
happens, you know. Um, it's really the best, the best um, parts of creativity, really, you know. Nikki Wells, thank you very much. <laughs> thank you, Steve. It's been a pleasure. At this point, we had closed the interview, but Nikki and I kept on talking, and it got so interesting that we decided to include this too. So, a little P.S. from this episode with Nikki Wells. If someone is a seeker of truth, and the truth is that there is an absolute, and the absolute is, it is what it is. You can't even, you can't even argue with it. It just is what it is. Then when, when, when one is um, ready and, and open to receive that, it wants you to have, it, it wants you to, the whole universe, is, it wants you to, to, to realize yourself. The whole world, the whole divinity wants you to realize that you are one with it. You know, so I think when, when one is a seeker, and when one wants to know, you will get it no matter what, because you're already on the journey for it. You will get it no matter what, because you want it, and it will it will come. the 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 practice of sahaja is very joyful, because it it's very spontaneous. But there is this this joy that happens where in the whole community, it's not a kind of fake joy or even a kind of crazy joy or whatever. It's a very um, it's it's a real it's an ananda, you know. Um, this this feeling of Ananda and it was very interesting because I've also very much been in the teachings of Ramana Maharshi I've actually got the book just here um, and I went to Arunachala um, I was doing a oh here I'm here so I was doing a a, a gig with um, Vinishka Shankar in India and then got the very spontaneous opportunity to go to do a Shiva puja down in Arunachala and Arunachala is the mountain of Shishiva, there's obviously, of course, Mount Kailash, but um, which is known as his abode. But Mount Arunachala is known as his form in stone. And it's one of the very few magnets in the world. And my goodness, I recommend, I wish this was recorded to also say to, the, to everyone watching, um, because they should all go. We've got yeah. this, so. Oh, okay. So, yeah. So I, I would recommend anyone to go to Arunachala. It's 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 a very powerful place and it's where um Raman Maharshi um lived and, and really um attained his self realization and then um stayed for the rest of his life. Um but the the thing is is that someone like Raman Maharshi who obviously his his destiny was to completely be um totally enlightened in his lifetime um, many people spend years upon, well, not even not years upon years, but sometimes lives upon lives trying to um, sometimes even force a state. And it cannot be forced and it has to be surrendered. You know, it has to be, I'm going to relinquish and allow the, again, metaphorically speaking, the ocean to, to take over. And um, and we're all just students of it as well, you know. So um, I think... Um, Sahaja, the, the practice that I grew up in, um, it uh, it just allows for a spiritual experience to be almost, you can't even notice it, it's so subtle, but you are so joyful and peaceful. And you only notice that when you, for example, when you climb a ladder and then you look down, you're like, oh, I'm higher than I was on the from the ground a few steps down. And you may not even notice it. So it's that subtle, it's subtle. But it's um yeah it it 
it um, it worked. <laughs> and um, yeah. Is that introduction something you could share with the listeners? Um, well, sure. That I could. What I would do, Steve, is probably give you um, a website where you could try it out. Um, I think it's wemeditate.com. Let me just um, get it for you, or you could set the link. Yeah, I'll put the link down there. Yeah, the link. I'll, I'll send. I'll give that to you. Um, I think it's called wemeditate.com. But I'll, I'll send that to you afterwards. Yeah. Or, or the, the best. The best, obviously, is in person with someone like say if I was with you and you know just sitting in your boat and just having a meditation there's something that happened in Australia um with my dear friend Akash Udedra and um I felt this compulsion to go up to to their room we were all in this kind of apartment complex and I just started walking up I had no idea why I had no idea why and I opened the door and Akash looked at me and we're very spiritually connected um, and he was like, next, I have the most terrible headache. I, I, I can't, um, he was really just not well. And I said, let me do something. <laughs> uh, let's, let's sit down. And he sat down and then everyone else was just like cooking and, you know, then eating quietly. And then I just meditated with him. And then I just put my hands in certain places and we went into a very deep meditation. And it was the first time he experienced this kind of meditation. And after, I think it was maybe half an hour or so, 20 minutes, half an hour, he turned around and it was just a completely different state. And he was just like, not only was his headache gone, but he had never experienced something like that. And he was quite um, silent. <laughs> well, there's no, you know, there was just pure silence and just like, wow. You know, and, and, and it was just something I read. I needed to somehow be there with him in that moment to, facilitate that experience so he could experience what is within him himself you see and then for that to be um awakened and now you know he wants to do it again and and uh it's it's a uh, yeah it's um it's a very organic and beautiful um way of of giving something to someone as well it's probably the most beautiful gift you can give to someone part of that you were uh, not part of the transmission necessarily but uh, you're intuitively working with the mm -hmm. subtle body in a certain sense. It yeah. sounds like. Yeah. Is that something that you're um, you have a sensitivity towards that dimension quite a lot? Well, certainly in in Sahaj Yoga practice, there is that there's the ability of someone who can you can feel you can feel the you can feel another person's subtle system. You can feel their their chakras. What might be. Um, uh, that if there might be some blockage or if there might be some friction um, involved and then with your own hands and with your own attention you can facilitate that and you can help the flow of the Kundalini to 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 go up so that they there are no obstructions. Interesting. Sri Mataji I believe was before she founded this system was actually a healer right isn't that some spiritual healer of some sort? Um, well, she, as a child, she, she grew up in Gandhiji's ashram and she was very much part of the India's freedom movement. Um, she, she wasn't a healer as such. She was actually a very ordinary housewife. She had children of her own. She was a housewife. Um, but she uh, was such a remarkable human being. And she, her, her kind of her calling in this life was to allow this, um, 
technique. Essentially, what she did was to open this center here known as the Sahasrara in 1970, and she 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 had a, a huge um, epiphany of how to actually give this to everyone freely. Slajia is completely free. There's no money you pay. There's nothing you have to do. You don't have to be a certain somebody to do it. It's absolutely for everybody. And so she just made it accessible to everyone in a way that is, um, it's incredibly, um, incredibly nourishing and, and completely um, natural way of essentially the next step of evolution rather than just being the homo sapien to become the homo spiritus. Mm. <laughs> Very nice. Have you, you spent time with her personally, I assume? I did, yeah, when I was younger, and she gave me the name Shakti um, when I was a baby, and she gave my 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 twins uh, name Bhakti, so Bhakti and Shakti. We were named that until we were eleven. Uh, so devotion and power, and then my other sister's name was Mahadevi, which means great goddess, <laughs> which she is. And so, um, so we did spend time with her, and, and um, uh, she was just the most incredible remarkable and gracious woman and very powerful as well and in her presence you would feel um such a serenity and, and also a coolness there would be this literally what they call chaitanya a wind uh, which you can feel on your fingertips and even uh, when you experience this meditation you can feel it um coming out your head and when you see pictures or paintings of saints or angels where there's a halo you know or a flame that's what this feeling is. It's a feeling or like a like a a cool vibration. And when in her presence you would just be be flooded with it and you would just you would just uh you go so I go silent even thinking about it. You actually can't really your brain though you can't really process, it's just silence. You just Yeah. Yeah, your face changes also. Interesting. Yeah. Mm. Okay, well, Thank you for a little uh, a little PS section there. That was wonderful. Thank you, Wells. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Thank you. Lovely to speak with you, Steve. Thank you for listening to another Guru Viking podcast. For more interviews like these, as well as articles, videos, and guided meditations, visit www.guruviking.com.